And when we think about the whole production system of animals and agriculture, uh, about 40% of feed ingredients that we feed uh, to the animal agriculture sector are co-products and byproducts. And that's a really significant piece. And we have to continue to evolve our policies and our technologies and our ability to even use more of those products, right? A whole new era of communication in the feed mill industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global feed mill industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a feed mill, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutrition program innovation. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the global feed mill industry. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast from North Carolina State University's Feed Milling Program. I'm Adam Farenholz, and on behalf of Wise Genetics, thanks for joining us today. Our guest for this episode of the podcast is Laura Moody. Laura is the Executive Director for the Institute of Feed Education and Research. Uh, colloquially, we call that iFeeder because that's a lot easier to say. Um, a, it's a program that was originally started by the American Feed Industry Association and is now taking on a life of its own. So we're interested in our conversation today. Laura, thanks for joining us. Great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. If you wouldn't mind, um, give our audience a bit of your background, uh, kind of you know what, what you've done in, in, your, in your past life and how you got to, to where you are today and, and then what you're uh, doing there at iFeeder. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I'm an agricultural engineer by training. I have my undergrad and master's both in agriculture and biosystems engineering. And my specialty is actually manure management and wastewater treatment. And we never quite know where our lives are going to take us, but I ended up uh, doing extension work at the University of Tennessee and then doing research and extension work at Iowa State University, both out of the engineering departments. You know, if you're doing manure management, you end up doing nutrient management work. And so uh, I was doing nutrient management work and got tapped by the Fertilizer Institute to uh, work on a research and extension and outreach program around the use of fertilizer, best management practices. And so I spent 12 years at the Fertilizer Institute and then uh, came over to the uh, to AFIA or into iFeeder. So kind of back into the animal space again, uh, where my roots started from. So it's been really great to be a part of iFeeder and bring the knowledge that I have gained working in the sustainability space and fertilizer and in the manure space uh, over to feed. So that's what we're doing here now. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the animal nutrition team at eastman.com. Absolutely. And how how long has iFeeder been in existence? And then how long have, have you been there? I can't quite recall. Yeah, so iFeeder was started, as you indicated, by the American Feed Industry Association in 2009. 
It was originally created as a place for the industry to be able to take on some, you know, special projects that they uh, wanted to be able to fund through some uh, member dollars or other contributed dollars coming in. And so they've done a variety of projects right in that space. And I joined iFeeder in 2021. So uh, after, you know, a, a decade of its existence and had the opportunity to um, really build iFeeder into what it is now, where we said, you know, iFeeder has been doing a lot of great work in the last decade. Uh, they've been doing uh, a variety of different projects, but what does the industry need the most from iFeeder right now? And that's generally what put us down the, the path to working in sustainability and trying to help our industry so that we can help our customers in that space. And so I've really been able to narrow the focus in the last three years, although that's not to say it's always going to be there. That's just what our focus is right now. Sure. And I feel like I should do, uh, it just kind of, it just kind of came to mind. I feel like I should do one of these, uh, I don't know, conflict of interest or, or almost sponsorship, uh, type of conversations. Um, one of the things uh, that iFeeder also does in uh, collaboration with AFIA's equipment manufacturers council is provide scholarships to, I should know this off the top of my head. I think we're seven. up to seven. Yep. Yes. Okay. So seven different universities that have some version of a, uh, a, a a role in educating folks on um, the animal food industries. And so there's there's a few uh, like we have here at NC State that have uh, codified programs in, in something like feed science, uh, major, minors, um, something along those lines. And then there's, you know, others that may not have a codified program yet, although we know a lot of them are looking for it but are doing some really good work in that space. And so we certainly appreciate and our students appreciate iFeeder and uh, EMC for providing that support. And um, I think it's just one more thing that's happening that is showing that interest in growing the industry in a positive direction by, by trying to encourage um, you know good students to, to follow this as a path. And so I, I should, like I said, give a I don't know if it's a conflict of interest, but definitely a thank you to iFeeder for that. Um, and, well, you know, iFeeder, we do have research and education in our title yeah. uh, or education and research in our title. And so one of the ways that we uh, do it, what, that we consider our education efforts is the support that we give, uh, the connection we have to the Equipment Manufacturers Committee and those scholarships. And those scholarships now have um, been in existence for a long time. And I think uh, really uh, kind of cool in the last few years as I've been at iFeeder, I think we were originally giving um, $2,000 or $2,500 scholarships. And in the last three years, that went up to $3,000 and then $4,000. And now we're up to $5,000 scholarships at those seven universities. And of course, that's a nice collaboration. iFeeder brings money to support those and manages them. EMC raises money and brings money to support those. Uh, and it's a great way for the industry to give back to the university so that we can potentially pull more students into the feed industry itself. Absolutely. So for any, uh, any, any high schooler or, uh, or, or college students that may for some reason be listening to this, um, or if you are a parent of one, uh, we have spots and we have scholarships available at, at seven different universities to uh, pursue this as a career. So, um, and that's again, all thanks to iFeeder and the EMC. I, um, I know you just kind of briefly talked about it, but, could you give maybe a, a kind of a, a more detailed idea of what the specific mission of iFeeder is uh, overall? Yeah, our mission is to advance the understanding and trust in a sustainable animal feed and pet food supply chain 
through education and research. And when, when I say the word sustainability there, what I mean is not only sustainability as we think about the food supply chain and sustainability efforts around environmental, social, and governance, but also the long-term sustainability or the long-term viability of the industry and our ability to help the industry um, chart its path into the future. And so uh, that, that is iFeeder's long-term, long-term goal. Okay, perfect. So to date over, um, you know, we're, we're over a, a decade in the existence of iFeeder and obviously there's a lot of ongoing projects and we'll, we'll get to what some of those are, but to date, what are considered some of the, the big successes of going out and saying, especially if you're going out and talking to folks in the industry, looking for support, looking for them to get involved in iFeeder and you were to say, okay, these are some of the major successes that we've had so far. Could you tell us what some of those are? You know, there are some important uh, pieces that are kind of evergreen in the system, right? They continually come up and we're able to support. And I would say those uh, would be examples of the nutrient requirement reports for the different animal species, right? So uh, a few years ago, uh, the dairy uh, nutrient requirements report got underway, which iFeeder supported. Um, the, The previous... Uh, swine nutrient requirements report was done in 2011-2012, and iFeeder supported that. We're currently supporting the update to the nutrient requirements for swine again. So, you know, that's a type of project that is a continual kind of evolving project. So those that's a type of project that iFeeder takes on. We also in the past have done uh, ingredient consumption reports. So bringing information to the industry that they can use in their own research efforts, um, in sustainability efforts, in uh, economic analyses, market data trends. You know, there's a lot of use for ingredient consumption data. iFeeder in the past has done a pet food report and uh, a, a broader kind of domestic livestock and aquaculture and poultry report on, on ingredient consumption. And in fact, we're getting ready to do those reports again. So uh, you know, that's another type of, of, of data that uh, iFeeder pulls together to support the industry. We undertook um, a a significant report looking at genetically modified uh, feeds, right? And so what's the difference? What would it take if we had more uh, requests for non-GMO feed so that some of our downstream customers could have their non-GMO yogurt, for example, right? Where you have to have a a dairy cow eating non-GMO feed and what does that look like? And so we, you know, have done those types of studies to analyze what it would look like from an economic standpoint or from an environmental standpoint to um, to, to have non-GMO feed within the system. And so all that uh, all those past projects uh, are available at iFeeder's website at ifeeder.org. And so those are things that we've been building on. In the last three years, um, as we've narrowed our focus, put, put some focus into the sustainability space, area, um, we created a sustainability roadmap. And that really is serving as the the baseline or the grounding for us right now. Um, That roadmap is not for what the industry should do to advance sustainability. It's what iFeeder needs to do to be able to support industry members in their sustainability efforts. So that roadmap got underway. and And now, now going forward, we're acting on the uh, efforts that were outlined in that roadmap for us to, to create. 
Within that space, we also created a sustainability toolkit for industry members to begin to use uh, and that we're going to continue to add resources to based on, again, what that roadmap tells us we need to do. And so that sustainability toolkit is another type of product that we've put out. You know, we did research to create the toolkit, but it's an education piece for the industry. And so, again, that's where we have that research and education element within within iFeeder. Absolutely. And, and I'll... Um... I'll put a, a a plug in, you know, kind of kind of personally, I suppose, for some of those reports, like uh, especially some of the consumption reports. You know, they're they're incredibly valuable. Um, you know, speaking as an academic institution, and you know, I'm I, I'm asked at some point to come and talk in the state, nationally, internationally, whatever, and and say, okay, well, you know, where does North Carolina rank, or where does the Southeast rank as far as how much feed is consumed, how much ingredients are consumed, or if I want to look at, um, you know, how how much corn is consumed for poultry in the state or the surrounding states versus what the USDA crop report said is actually harvested to give us a decent idea of what we have to import. Um, a lot of those reports, like those those crop reports, and those are have been around forever, right? USDA and whatnot. But some of that ingredient consumption and feed consumption, um, those things have never been available before. And, you know, it's it's nice to be able to put numbers to it and say, yes, you know, North Carolina is the fourth largest feed producing state in the country from a compound animal feed. And I can tell you what species we're feeding and then how that dovetails with how many you know pounds of meat are going out and where we rank as far as production goes. Um, that's data that didn't exist before iFeeder started doing that work. And it's been incredibly valuable to to folks like me that are are asked to go out and talk about where, you know, where different parts of the industry stand in relation to other geographic areas, other parts of, the, you know, swine versus poultry, et cetera, et cetera. That's so that's really great for me to hear. And now I'm going to transcribe exactly what you said and put it into something as I go out and do some fundraising, as we potentially look on uh, gathering uh, resources to be able to pull off those consumption reports again in, in the coming year. So thank you for the quote. I'm going to use it. Oh, yeah, for, absolutely. And actually, that that leads leads well into another question I, I thought of as you were as you're talking about this. Obviously, a lot of the information that you're you're coming up with in things like these reports comes back to the industry, comes back to folks like me, comes back to a lot of different places um, in in order to educate us on where exactly the industry is, where it's headed, that sort of thing. Where else does that information go? And I'm thinking maybe speaking to how does it help in... Um, you know, getting media stories out there incorrect? How does it help in lobbying and going to everything from, you know, local legislatures all the way up to national government, farm bill, et cetera, et cetera, when folks think about, well, why why is this information is important? If I'm not going to always use it, what else is it being used for um, that might change like even a national discourse on what our industry does and where it fits? Well, iFeeder uh, has been working in recent years to raise our visibility, right? And by doing that, our intention is to raise the brand name, raise brand awareness of iFeeder, and raise awareness of iFeeder as a resource. And so we put our you know, materials out there the majority of the materials, the resources that we create, the research that we do, the results are publicly available, 
right? And so it's one thing for us to release it to the industry, but it's another thing for it to for us to ensure that our stakeholders, right, for example, have access to it. Um, you mentioned uh, public policy, so iFeeder. We are not. We are five hundred one c three. We do not do any lobbying or any type of policy work. However. AFIA and iFeeder work really closely together. And so the a lot of the research findings that we have then are able to be utilized by AFIA and uh, the regulatory uh, and policy folks over there, as well as by industry members that are doing policy work on the Hill. So for us, uh, communicating is key and getting our information out there is key. Um, you know, we have uh, some limited, uh, we, we don't have an excess number of people and resources to be able to do that outreach, but we have recently updated our webpage. And so it's a lot easier to find reports and information coming out of iFeeder. Uh, iFeeder.org, again, is the way you can go to find general information about us. Um, we've upped the number of newsletters and uh, communication pieces that we have. We're getting ready to launch a blog as well. Uh, and then we also, you can find information or we put information out through our social media on LinkedIn. And so those are ways that we try to touch not just industry members, but a variety of our stakeholders. I would say the other audience that we're trying to reach is um, uh, stakeholders that are our animal uh, peers. So not, you know, not only the producers themselves, but the producer groups that support them as well as the downstream customers of those producers and producer groups. So getting out and being in front of audiences in different uh, scenarios or different um, uh, conferences is also a, a, an important way for us to convey that information. And so in general, there's a lot of work we have underway right now to increase the visibility of the work that we're doing so that the resources like we're talking about, the consumption report, for example, you know, people can find those easier. Um, we oftentimes get an email from uh, a grad student, for example, uh, mm -hmm. that, that has come across our data and wants better access to the data set or when are we going to update that data set. And so that's really valuable for us to get those requests and know that that information is getting out there. Um, but we got to continually find ways to put it out there so that people can access it more readily. Absolutely. Yep. Once again, my guest today on the Feed Science Podcast is Laura Moody. Laura is the executive director for iFeeder. I wanted to um, touch a little uh, back on you were talking about the sustainability um, roadmap and the toolkit and things like that. From what you guys have, have put together, what you've learned, um, when we think about where the feed industry fits in that sustainability discussion, I think one of the things that has actually been the case for a long time, but the feed industry has not done a very good job of, you know, um, jumping on the, the story about is how big of a player we already are in sustainability, you know, all of the co-products and things like that, that are, you know, would end up in a landfill if we weren't using them. The the things that we are doing, even in trucking and whatnot, that we're doing for efficiency sake and cost sake, but also working that sustainability. So I was wondering if you might um, have some comments on that of, of 
what our industry needs to do better as far as you know raising our hand and saying actually we're we've been focused on sustainability for a long time even if we didn't call it that yeah i think when we think about where feed fits as one of the solutions that's what we are right we are offering providing trying to provide a solution to our customers right and if we're talking about feed in general um, yeah, we could be talking about pet food or other elements, but in general, we're talking about uh, the animal sector, the animal agriculture sector. And when they look at their footprint, right, whether it's land, water use or greenhouse gas emissions, a very significant piece of their footprint is tied to feed. And so we need to help them. We need to help them. We need to be a solution for them. Right. So they're feeling those downstream customers are feeling pressures from their stakeholders, which are the consumer facing groups or other activists that are out there in the space. Uh, and they're feeling pressure to work on either measuring or reducing the footprint of, of their production system. And again, because feed is a significant piece of that, feed has a role to play. When I think about the environmental footprint of feed, and here we're talking greenhouse gas, water, energy, land use, et cetera. Um, there's, I think, four different ways that we can think about solutions in the feed space. First solution area is feedstuff production. That's really tied to what a farmer, what a crop farmer can do on their own land to reduce the footprint of, of the corn that's grown or the soybean that's grown or the wheat that's grown, right? That's the things like what we traditionally think about as conservation agriculture. Now we talk about it as soil health, or sometimes we hear the term regenerative agriculture. Okay, we're talking about improved fertilizer best management practices, no-till or minimum till, cover crops, like all the things that we can do to reduce the inputs and improve the efficiencies of production right on the farm. Production systems, that's one place. The second place to me is ration innovation. So now we're talking specifically about feed ingredients and what we can do in the feed industry, right? It might be formula optimization. It might be better understanding or bringing new probiotics or essential oils or enzymes or uh, like synthetic amino acids, right? There's all these different categories that fall into the ration innovation space. It, it could be something like as we uh, bring, as, as, as the biofuels industry brings new soy crushing plants online, uh, how do we get a higher protein soybean or a higher um, fatty acid soy meal, soybean meal? Like how do we change the characteristics of that soybean meal, right? So that we have more protein in it. Like it can be ration innovation could be a lot of different things. So ration innovation is one way, right? If we can improve the feed conversion of efficiency of an animal, or if we can improve the average daily gain of an animal uh, by a ration change, that has the ability to reduce the footprint of that animal, right? We can feed less corn. We can bring an animal to market faster. We can, uh, all of those things have a way to reduce the environmental footprint. The third area of a solution is, as you indicated, co-product byproduct use. So circularity. When we think about circularity, that term generally means designing waste out of a system. And when we think about the whole production system of animals and agriculture, uh, about 40% of feed ingredients that we feed uh, to the animal agriculture sector are 
co-products and byproducts. And that's a really significant piece. And we have to continue to evolve our policies and our technologies and our ability to even use more of those products, right? Um, and now we see companies that were just reading about a company the other day that has is starting to use food waste that's been processed for chicken for poultry feed. And so we have we continue to look for those opportunities. And then the fourth area is responsible sourcing. And responsible sourcing we think a lot about as um, how maybe a consumer facing organization might make purchase decisions on the 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 meat product or the dairy product that they're purchasing, but responsible sourcing also can apply to the feed industry, right? We can make decisions about what we, where we purchase our, um, our corn from, right? Whether it's been grown with regenerative or soil health or conservation practices or not. So that has, that's another potential area. So those are the four areas I think that we can work on. And, you know, for us in feed, we don't, necessarily touch production systems, crop production systems, right? We don't have a say really in what the farmer chooses to do. Um, but we do have a say, we have a lot of say in ration innovation and we have a lot of say in circularity. And so I think those are two areas that uh, we really have the ability to be a solution. One of the challenges that we have is that we haven't done a great job measuring it, right? Mm -hmm. We have Absolutely. done a great job measuring we know we can talk about probiotics and their feed conversion efficiency benefit, or and we can talk about the cost savings tied to the use of something like that. But we have not done a great job transforming that performance metric into an environmental footprint reduction. And so that's that's a really, I think, important area for us to think about um, how we generate that data so that we can, again, be more part of the solution for our uh, customers. And that's an area of work that iFeed is focused on right now. Absolutely. And, and I, I really like those answers and, and for all of, uh, for all of our, our feed millers specifically that were listening, um, if you were really paying attention to one of the things I really like about all your answers is that we, you know, you said, talk about cropping, we talk about things that are related to, you know, animal genetics, how they're raised, we're talking about things, um, we'll call them overall, nutrition-based type decisions, what ingredients we're using, how we're purchasing, things like that. And what I find when I talk, and, and I'll bring up something about sustainability, my my feed milling crowd goes, oh God, what are they going to make us do in the feed mill? And it's and I and I I try to generally reassure that, hey, actually a lot of this is not going to be inside your facility. Again, because a lot of what you we would look for a facility from a processing standpoint, we do anyway because we're we're trying to get the electric bill down because we would like to pay less for our electricity. So a lot of those things we're doing anyway. Probably nobody's going to come for the most part, other than having to deal with some co-product you don't want to deal with and finding the bin space for it. It's not all on the processors, and I and I think that a lot of times when I say that to the crowds that I'm talking to. They get, oh man, what is this going to make me do? Is this going to, you know, mess up my my transportation? Is it going to mess up how I can make feed and all that other kind of thing? And it's like, no, there's a much much bigger picture, and there's a lot of things that will happen outside the facility that goes into the overall sustainability of feeding yeah. animals. Yeah, we have we're in in theory, in theory. If we work in the ration innovation space and the circularity space, both of those things have the potential to 
uh, be a cost savings for the producer, right? And and because it's a solution we're bringing as a feed industry, it's also a potential market opportunity, right? And so I think one of the challenges in sustainability is flipping the switch in your head. So you can be like the person who is against it all and you're going to get hit by a Mack truck, or you can like choose to flip the switch in your head and be like, well, okay, where is the opportunity for me in this, right? And I think the one of the one of the desired outcomes that we have with our current project that IFEDER has on better mapping environmental impact to performance metrics from feed ration innovation is to get people to understand that there is a market opportunity there. People are looking for this information if we only tell the story a little differently. And so to that point, like that's what we're looking for, those wins that are uh, a market opportunity and have a positive environmental uh, element uh, story that we can tell around it. iFeeder has another project underway that is aimed at getting to this point that you kind of started to touch on, which is within the feed mills themselves and the processing operations, sustainability is how you define it, right? It's what's important to you, what's important to your stakeholders. I can tell you what's probably really important to your feed mill guys right now is worker safety, uh, human capital, which would be having labor on hand, uh, energy, because it's tied to cost savings. If those are the three areas that you define are as important for you, then figure out how to work on those areas. Document what you're doing, create metrics in those spaces and tell stories about it. When somebody asks you what you're doing on the sustainability front, that's what you tell them, that, that's what you do. And so one of the other projects that iFeeder has underway right now, it'll be a resource we'll release later this spring, is we've identified 16 indicators that we feel are important to people, planet, and governance, those would be kind of the ESG, environmental social governance terms uh, that you would hear. And so we've identified those 16 indicators. And so we're providing a description of what each of those indicators is, why an industry member might consider noting it of importance, why they might find value in creating it as a metric and documenting it and pursuing it. And then we've actually got a, a pile of case studies that we're going to have um, that basically say, here's what somebody's doing right now in the energy space. Maybe you can do something like this. Maybe you're already doing something like this and you just need to convey it, right? So that's another that's another resource that iFeeder is creating right now, which is to help our industry members figure out how to tell the stories uh, of the good work that they're doing. Because chances are, you know, feed millers already looking at maybe their energy footprint and what can they do for lighting or what can they do um, for their pelleting system or what can they do uh, to improve, uh, you know, labor opportunities. So there's a lot in that space and, you know, we want, we want everybody to recognize the opportunity they have there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I think that'll be a really, a really great resource for, for the industry to have. And, and I, I couldn't agree more with, you know, what you said there about learning to, to tell the story, uh, and, and, and getting into the idea of, you know, actually actively marketing what you're doing. I think it's one of the most interesting things. And one of the things I find really neat in some of that co-product space is the market advantage that it may give, for example, to smaller feed producers where there's a, a new co-product available that is seen as sustainable, is seen as um, whatever whatever term you want to give it that, that makes people 
feel positively about the product that you're putting out, but that there just isn't enough for the very large players to use yet. It's just, there's just not enough of this. They need rail cars of it. And there's only, you know, you know, tons a week that are available. Well, if you're that small feed producer, maybe that's something you go grab onto and you start making chicken feed or pig feed or whatever that has this in co-product in it and you can market it. And for a while, maybe nobody else is in that space with you because the ingredient, there's just not enough of it. And you can grab onto that while you can. I think that's something that... And I think it'll be interesting. We'll see how this evolves, but there's a um, a project underway at the United Nations uh, FAO uh, LEAP, Livestock Environmental uh, Assessment Partnership Program. Um, they're in the process of putting out a report on circularity and feed. And one of the elements that we encourage them, AFIA being the we, encourage them to include in that is metrics. How do we measure the benefits of co-product and byproduct use relative to circularity? And so in the coming years, that report comes out, that's someplace I'm going to dive in and, and think about how we, again, help our industry members tell the story. If you're feeding co-products and byproducts, if you get access to something that you can feed, what does that mean from a an environmental footprint reduction? How are you helping your downstream customer? How are you helping your customer achieve their goals by helping find those products and co-products? And so that's that's another just another interesting space, right? That that we're go- going to be ex- exploring. We're waiting for that report to come out to see what's in it yet. But I think how we measure the benefits of using those co-products and byproducts is really important as well. Very good. Before we kind of close out on the content portion, uh, one last question I, I had for you um, on that side was. Is there anything specific other than the stuff we've already already talked about that iFeeder is looking forward to doing in the relatively near or maybe you know five year down future that um, you'd like people to know about? Because obviously, for you guys to do the things that you want to do, you have to have support from folks, and so the more they know about your missions and what you would like to be able to do, the more they can potentially come on board. So, what might be some of those other future things that? Feeder has on its to-do list, like we'd really like to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah. This coming year, uh, the, in it'll it'll have to be approved by the board. But the intention in the coming year uh, is to um, redo uh, or update, I should say, those uh, the pet food uh, ingredient report and the broader livestock, poultry, aquaculture, uh, domestic animal agriculture uh, ingredient report. So those things are uh, up and coming. Um, we have a significant amount of work um, in the ration innovation space, right? How to turn performance indicators into uh, uh, environmental footprint reductions. We've just started that process, right? We've just started exploring what that would look like. We're starting to refine the methodology for doing that. There's going to be more information that has to be gathered to actually be able to calculate that and quantify that. Ultimately, we'd love to see that become a standard calculation that folks could use for a protocol so that, you know, a downstream customer could be like, oh, we're purchasing um, poultry that has been fed this. We know that they ate this. And so we can trace that through the system that can generate uh, ecosystem market credit whether for greenhouse gas, land, water, or et cetera. And maybe there's a payment that can go to the producer or uh, a higher premium that the downstream buyer makes to obtain that product. So we may not be the ones that create the protocol, but we'd love to have that. 
we're working towards having a standard created so that there could be a protocol and could be a potential credit in that space. Something else we haven't talked about at all is the Global Feed Lifecycle Assessment Institute. So there's this growing interest in being able to um, look at rations relative to their environmental footprint. So um, yes, we can look at a ration as the nutrient need for the animal. We can look at it as a least cost formulation, but there's a growing interest in understanding how we can modify that ration to have a lower footprint product, right? And so GFLI, the Global Feed Lifecycle Assessment Institute, exists as a database of ingredients and the lifecycle assessments of those ingredients. And so within the U.S., iFeeder is also working to support getting more ingredients into that space, whether it's updating the current corn, soy, wheat kind of commodity crop data or getting um, ingredient data, newer ingredient data into the system and different ways that we can support GFLI in their mission. So um, there's a broad group of work underway there. Uh, we're always, you know, I'm sure another, you know, we're, we're in the process of working with the um, nutrient requirements for swine report right now. Uh, I'm sure one of the other animal sectors will come up in the future and we'll support that as well. So we have a, we have a continue, continual kind of array of, pro of projects that come in. We listen to industry members on what their needs are. We work with AFIA's committees to hear from them what their needs are. And of course, we'll continue to support the scholarship space as well. Um, as you noted, iFeeder is a nonprofit. We are a 501c3. We get our funding dollars from uh, industry contributions, both, both corporate contributions and individual contributions. We also have been working in recent years to really increase the amount of grant dollars we have coming in so that we are able to um, not only use industry dollars, but use external dollars like grant dollars. Um, and so that's we've, we've been quite successful at that, and we're going to continue uh, to do that. But we still need industry contributions and support. And so you can find us at ifeeder.org. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's easy to donate or you can find out you can contact me and uh we can we can discuss and set you up perfect perfect so just uh we've just got a last few questions we always uh you know we, we get the opportunity to talk to a lot of uh very interesting and, and um well-placed and highly successful people uh, as we do these podcasts and so uh there's a few questions that get asked at the end of of all of these interviews um or discussions or whatever we want to call our our format here it's time for our famous three. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. The first is, and beyond iFeeder.org, um, what would be some resources that you would share that, that you like to use, um, that you would go to uh, to learn more about or to keep uh, current on the news and and goings on in the feed industry. Yeah, so this one's uh, not quite the feed industry, 
but in the broader sustainability space, right? Paying attention to what's happening in the broader food and agriculture space. You know, for us in agriculture and feed, we're so driven by what is happening in the broader food supply chain. So there's a great group called McKinsey and Company. Uh, McKinsey and Company has a variety. They're basically a research service. And they do, I'm sure they do a lot of reports for money, but they also do a lot of reports on their own just as a data, as a data source. And so um, you can go to McKinsey and Company and sign up for a variety of different reports that they do. One of the ones that I really like is their sustainability newsletter that comes out. And so about once a week, I get a, an email dropped in my inbox that has a variety of information about what's going on in the sustainability space. And, it, and it's broad topics, right? It's anything from what's happening in the investment space around sustainability to what's happening, what consumers are saying uh, on sustainability. And so um, I just, that's useful to me, right? To have a, a broader picture of the space as we think about how it fits with feed. And then of course, I think, you know, there's lots of great uh, newsletters that we're all getting. I really appreciate the, um, uh, the podcast that we get from Feed Strategy uh, and, and the Feed and Grain newsletters. Those are, you know, key reads in the morning for me. Uh, broader than that, um, I like to follow what USDA is doing uh, in the conservation space. So I'm right, you know, sometimes it's checking websites for things and sometimes it's just getting the newsletters in my boxes. But I would say McKinsey and Company, that's probably one people haven't heard about that I yeah. find useful if you're interested in that space. Absolutely. That's a that's a great suggestion. Uh, so switching gears just a little bit, um, you've, you've been in a, a number of different uh, roles going back to academia and, and a couple um, uh, organizations here. Any other resources more from a personal development, business development, um, you know, books or, or folks that you have followed or things like that, that you, you always like to tell people about, oh, if you're looking to, you know, grow in your professional world, here's someone that I would suggest you go listen to or something I would suggest you go yeah. read. Does anything like yeah. that come to mind? Well, the book I read last year uh, was really helpful and my colleagues at AFIA staff may or may not appreciate it because <laughs> it became a study. I think everybody got a copy of the book after I read it and then everybody, and, and then we had discussions around it at our, uh, at our staff retreat this year. Uh, leading without authority. So, you know, I'm the executive director at iFeeder, but I'm a staff of one. Uh, and I work closely with the communications team and the meetings team and the accounting team at AFIA. Same thing. I have a board. I have a board of directors that I have to work with and I have committees that I have to work with. And that's how I get work done. None of those people report to me. Uh, and so I took on leading without authority in that space. Um, and I think a really great read for anybody who uh, has to work across departments or has to work across lines or even has people that they are challenged to work with and how to reach out and build those relationships. So that's uh, Leading Without Authority was a great read. Based on how you just described it, I'm pretty sure everybody in academia is going to want to <laughs> I'm putting it on my list. Um, that sound that 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 all sounds quite familiar. Um, all right. Very last question then. Uh, you obviously get to interact with with folks in different organizations and you get to interact with uh, obviously the, the board and, and a lot of donors. And so you get to interact with a lot of people that have made it to a level where they are are directing, hey, this is where we're putting funds. This is This is what we want to do. And so these people have gotten very successful to get to that point in their career. 
what are some of the one or two of the traits that you see when you work with these people and you say, hey, they all seem to do this or have this trait to them. And I think that that might be one of the main things that has gotten, you know, those of us that have, have gotten to a successful point in our lives, we all seem to share this about how we do our, our jobs or, or live our professional lives in general. Yeah. I think uh, curiosity and willingness to ask questions, um, right? The willingness to try to understand what you either don't understand or things that you know are a little outside your area, but are probably going to be important to you, right? And so I find people who are curious uh, are, are, are smart, right? They're curious because they're looking to gain new knowledge and they're curious because they've heard something that they think might help them someplace else and then have the confidence in their curiosity to ask questions about it so that you don't just hear something and be like, that's interesting, but I don't really understand it. And I'm not going to ask a question because I don't want somebody to, to, to know that I don't know about it. Right. That's, that's to me, the people who are curious and willing to ask questions um, and to quite, and, 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 and for me also important, uh, is to question, right? If you're speaking with, if you're, if for me, I'm communicating with a confident background and to have somebody question me because they're curious about it and make me think harder about something or even rethink or question myself, right? That only makes us all better. And so, you know, curiosity, questioning, and then the ability to have that open discussion in a non-critical environment. Yeah. I love that. I love that answer. I, I, I use that one a lot in, in our world as well. Right. And, and what am I most interested in a student? Right. And it's that it's, it's that curiosity, but I think it's a great point too, that there's something about, I'm, I'm speaking with a CEO of something and they've been in that role for quite some time. They've been in the industry for a long time. And I start talking about something and they go, you know, wait a minute, I don't fully understand. I'd like to know more. I'm curious about that and going, oh, wow. Okay. This is someone who's still willing to listen, even though I'm approaching this conversation with them as look where they're at. They, they must know everything they'd ever need to know. And then finding out that, no, if you've gotten there, it's because you know, you don't. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I try, even myself, I flip that back on myself and make sure that I'm asking questions myself and being willing to ask questions that may seem ridiculous to somebody else, but I truly want to know an answer to, right? So always pushing myself to ask, ask those questions as well. Absolutely. My guest today has been Laura Moody. Laura is the executive director for iFeeder. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam, for having me on. You bet. It was our pleasure. Again, this has been the Feed Science Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Farenholz from North Carolina State University. On behalf of Wise Genetics, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Genetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. 
Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.